This is a Suno India production and you are listening to Indian Economy Explained. We have assembled today for an important moment in the journey of our great nation. We are in the process of making history with the launch of the goods and services tax. At the midnight hour at the midnight hour we will be launching one of india's biggest and most ambitious tax and economic reforms in history this is late finance minister arun jaitley on the day when goods and services tax or gst was launched in 2017 the gst was first proposed by former prime minister atal bihari vajpayee in 1999 and later by the United Progressive Alliance the UPA finance minister P Chidambaram in 2010 however when the UPA introduced the constitution amendment bill in 2011 it ran into opposition repeatedly from the Bharatiya Janata Party the BJP particularly the then Gujarat chief minister Narendra Modi the BJP led national democratic alliance came to power and also faced some opposition to the GST bill it was finally passed in July 2017 through the implementation of the 101st amendment of the constitution the gst replaced existing multiple taxes levied by the central and state governments hi i'm kunika balhotra research and communications officer for suno india and your host for this episode of indian economy explained to understand more about gst law i spoke to apeksha solanki a chartered accountant by qualification and the author of the book gst for the layman how it impacts your daily life to understand the basics of the gst regime could you please explain to us about gst and how it is different from our older tax system okay so gst goods and service tax okay it is a tax which is levied on supply of any goods or services so any supply that you do of goods or services or providing service gst is levied and it is a tax which is levied at every stage of the consumer chain so uh, right from your manufacturing stage to your distribution wholesaler retailer anything or even for provision of service from service provider so at every stage in the consumer uh, chain gst is levied and it is just one tax which is levied on uh, which is levied on all the activities now ours is a federal country so earlier the central government had uh, had the power to uh to tax uh provision of services or manufacture of uh, goods and the state government had the power to tax your uh, sale of goods and within state also the local authorities also had the authority to tax certain activities so earlier there were multiple taxes levied by various authorities and it so happened that on a similar on on a single transaction there could have been like multiple taxes so say for example you are manufacturing a product okay so when you manufacture in the erstwhile regime the uh, excise authority that is the central government would come say acha you have manufactured goods so please pay excise duty then when they from the factory when they want to sell it outside the state government will come acha now you have manufactured you want to sell the goods so we will charge vat on this so on the same transaction there would there could have been like these multiple taxes and then the taxpayers would have had to uh, deal with a lot of 
different tax authorities, different tax governments. So, so because of which, which sort of created a lot of confusion. But whereas now, if you're manufacturing a product, the only thing that you have to pay, you're manufactured and you're selling, you have to pay GST and that's it. There is no separate excise duty or VAT or anything for that matter. So this is how it is different. It is GST is more streamlined. There is just one tax on all the activities. Whereas earlier there was like a web of taxes. So Lanky said that the GST was brought in to bring in ease of business and cut the confusion of tracking multiple taxes. So multiple taxes meant dealing with a lot of different departments like excise, service tax, uh, VAT or other local authorities where, you know, entry tax is levied or is levied. So you have to deal with a lot of departments. You have to know a lot of taxes, different laws for each tax. And each of these laws will have their own way of, you know, doing the compliances, taking registration, payment of tax. So this multiplicity of taxes was was creating a lot of confusion. It was It was all over the place. People had to invest a lot of time and energy into understanding all this and dealing with different departments. So instead of, you know, really concentrating on doing their business well, a lot of time even went in handling the taxes, which is not good for any business. So to reduce these compliances, again, we needed a simplified, unified code, which would just, which would cover all your activities and you have to do compliances only for, you know, just that one law. The... Another thing, like when we talk, when we spoke about the ease of doing business, because of, uh, you know, earlier there was, uh, when when you say, uh, when you sell goods from one state to another, central sales tax was levied. So, and central sales tax uh, uh, was not creditable, you know, like there is input tax credit available uh, in GST, like as I explained earlier, that GST is applicable on every stage, and it's only it's only applicable on the value addition. So you get you get credit of the tax which you've already paid for the inputs. So CST was something which was not creditable, which again added a lot to the cost. And again, the businesses would you know think around how to get away CST and all that. So ease of movement of goods across the state, even because of CST and because of border check post also, because there were border check post at every state. If from one state to another state my goods are moving, uh the uh there would be check post at every border or even at times district and all that. So it was not very time consuming. So again, you know, all this really hampered the industry. So to do away with all these uh, disadvantages, we we really needed a unified code. And that is why uh, GST was brought in to answer all of these problems. And GST has addressed all of these uh, issues that people have. Could you also tell me how it has changed the central and state revenue system both? Earlier, it was simple. Uh, the taxes that were levied by central government, like excise duty and service tax and other taxes, would go to the central government. And uh, the state taxes, like VAT and octroi, entry tax, purchase tax, luxury tax, amusement, entertainment tax, all those taxes were levied by state government or local authorities. And whichever authorities uh, charging those taxes, it would go to them. But now in GST, so GST is split into uh, two. So see, 
कंबाइंड जीएसटी रेट इज एक्चुअली कॉम्बिनेशन ऑफ सी जी एस टी एंड एस जी एस टी सी जी एस टी सेंटर जी एस टी एंड सेंट्रल जी एस टी एंड एस जी एस टी इज स्टेट जी एस टी सो सो वी ऑल वुड हैव नोटिस राइट इवन लाइक वेन वी गो फॉर गो टू रेस्टोर समथिंग वी डू नॉट सी जी एस टी वी सी सी जी एस टी एंड एस जी एस टी एंड जी एस टी रेट इज कॉम्बिन इज सम टोटल ऑफ बोथ बोथ सी जी एस टी एंड एस जी एस टी विच इज ऑलवेज द सेम सो इट्स फिफ्टी फिफ्टी सो नाउ द रेवेन्यू सिस्टम इज सच दैट सी जी एस टी विल गो टू सेंट्रल सेंट्रल गवर्नमेंट एस जी एस टी विल गो टू स्टेट गवर्नमेंट एस आर एज इंटरस्टेट गुड्स आर कंसर्न देर इज ऑल्सो आई जी एस टी सो वेन एवर द गुड्स आर मूविंग फ्रॉम वन स्टेट टू अनादर आई जी एस टी इज एप्लीकेबल सो आई जी एस टी इज लेवीड बाय द सेंट्रल गवर्नमेंट बट देन इट इज डिस्ट्रीब्यूटेड बाय सेंट्रल गवर्नमेंट टू द स्टेट्स टू द स्टेट्स अकॉर्डिंग टू वट एवर फॉर्मूला दे हैव अनादर बिगेस्ट चेंज इज द कॉम्पनसेशन सेस दैट द स्टेट गवर्नमेंट गेट्स इन फैक्ट वेन when the government was trying to bring about gst there was a lot of you know initial hitch and uh, roadblocks states did not want to come to gst and one of the major reasons was the uh, loss of revenue that the state governments would have because all the taxes were to be subsumed under gst so all the state taxes like vat and octo and everything was subsumed under gst so they all were worried about what would happen to the state revenue so the government said that apart from sgst and the portion of igst we would also for a period of 5 years now it has increased but they had initially said for a period of 5 years we would compensate you for the loss of revenue that is happening to you because of gst and we would also uh, ensure that for 5 years or uh, year on year a uh, basis you get 14% increase in your revenue if a state has say suppose uh, accumulated 1000 crore of state gst but as compared to last year last year their uh, gst revenue was 1000 crore and this year they should have got 1000 plus 14% increase if if that is that amount is shortfall then the central government would pay out of the uh, the compensation cess that they collect compensation cess is collected it's it's levied on a few items like automobile coal or aerated waters tobacco pan masala these are four five products which compensation cess is levied and whatever money is there that is distributed to the states however this promise of compensating states for revenue lost was not fulfilled this year this is finance minister nirmala sitharaman in august whereas this year we are facing an extraordinary situation you are facing a act of god which might even result in a contraction of the economy so act in foresee an act of god here sitaraman tells us why the center decided not to fully compensate the states for shortfall of revenues collected from gst the center owes rupees 2.53 lakh crore in gst dues the west bengal chief minister mamta banerjee and finance minister of kerala thomas isak call this a betrayal of trust I spoke to CP Chandrasekhar he is a professor at the Center for Economic Studies and Planning Jawaharlal Nehru University New Delhi to understand how the GST regime was performing so far GST regime itself uh, you know started as you know in July 2017 you know the first time monthly collections exceeded 1 lakh crore okay was in April 2018 But if you take the whole period for which uh, uh, 
uh, this this tax including of course now there've been only i think 11 out of 41 months when the collections from gst all told all told collections from gst exceeded 1 lakh crore and if you look at when you actually had this figure exceeding 1.05 lakh crore then you're basically saying that there've been only about you know maybe 5 to 6 months uh, when it gone beyond that figure this figure is important to understand for financial year 2018 and 19 the average target of gst collection per month was 1.07 lakh crore however there have been only a few months when the country has collected more than 1.05 lakh crore rupees of revenue The center had promised the states that they would compensate for the shortfall of revenues from the implementation of GST by way of compensation says. However, a few months ago, the finance minister said that the center will be unable to provide this compensation says. I asked Professor Chandrasekhar about an article he wrote in the online magazine Macrocan run by the Economic Research Foundation after Sitaraman announced they will be unable to pay their dues due to the state. Also, I read your article GST under strain. So it was mentioned that the center has said that in financial year twenty twenty one, the center would not fully compensate the states for any shortfall in the revenues from the GST. And many state, two state ministers have also called this as betrayal of trust. Could you tell us more about this? It started with two, but subsequently more. Now, obviously, if you say that we really haven't even gone above one lakh five, you know, one point zero five lakh crores, then you're not talking about 14% you're really talking about stagnation and stagnation at a very low level as opposed to a 14% growth so if you look at it you can say that listen i mean you know there's there's a fundamental problem in terms of what this regime is delivering it is obviously not delivering what was expected and in 2022 we know that even if normal times were were, were prevailing that the compensation for the states was supposed to come to an end now if there's a stagnation in revenues as opposed to an expectation of 14% increase in revenues then obviously you're basically saying that this when when this whole compensation period ends then you're going to end up with a situation in which the states would be in deep trouble because they are not going to get anywhere near what they were sort of promised in order to persuade them to give up their taxation rights to cede their taxation rights and to join the GST Now, finally, of course, there was, of course, at least the expectation that till 2022 they were safe, but we now know that even till 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 2022 they are not safe, because when revenues collapsed as a result of the COVID pandemic, the government decided on the basis of some opaque criterion to say that there was one component of this which was about uh, you know started with 97,500 crores, but then it's gone up now to 1 lakh 05, uh, you know 1.05. Uh, 1.505 lakh crores that that amount is what is due to the implementation of the gst and the rest of the shortfall which is quite substantial is because of an act of god so even the the expectation you had there so all told this is not a regime which is actually delivered in terms of what was promised in order to persuade the states to cede their taxation rights and join a one nation one tax or whatever you want to call it the kind of regime so so you know and and obviously if you're not getting the revenues which you expected it means the impact on the economy is going to be extremely adverse because of the fact that the states would not be in a position to be able to spend and of course the center too 
is finding its revenues uh, no, completely inadequate to meet its responsibilities. The economic slowdown, along with the government's policies before and after the COVID-19 pandemic, resulted in what Professor Chandrasekhar called a failed GST regime. See, it is it is true that there is a certain relationship between the volume of output of production and in economy and the volume of taxes which are collected. You know, so what you try and do is either by expanding the tax base or by raising tax rates, you try and adjust the tax GDP ratio to a level which you think is appropriate. So if GDP falls then there would be an adverse effect on, on, on taxes. Now, the thing is, of course, that even before COVID, even before COVID, we know that starting from about September last year, that's 2019, the Indian economy had slowed to an extent where, where there was talk of a recession. People were talking about lack of demand for goods varying from biscuits to, to uh, passenger vehicles, you know, passenger cars. So obviously there was a recession. And in fact, what was happening was that there was, uh, there was a, sort of uh, hue and cry on the part of business saying that the government must spend and inject demand into the economy. Well, the government, instead of choosing to do that in September 29, offered a huge tax concession to corporates, you know, a corporate tax concession, which obviously even, so you, you, you had two kinds of things. One, you had a slowdown and you had a corporate tax concession. The net result was that even before COVID came, what you actually found was situation in which revenues had come down so much that they had to be given the government's commitment for whatever reason to these very strong fiscal deficit uh, you know norms it meant that expenditure also fell far short of what was budgeted for and therefore in of actually the government acting counter cyclically because of the collapse in revenues one of which was because of the the link between you know uh, revenue collection from, from GST and the rate of growth of the economy, you ended up with a pro-cyclical tendency. When you're going down, you go down even further. Okay, The moment the government says, I will not borrow and spend, you're caught in a pro-cyclical world. That if you're going downhill, you'll go downhill even more because the government's revenues would come down, the government will not borrow up so much, and therefore expenditure will come down, and therefore they pay. Now, on top of that comes COVID. Okay? That obviously meant that the collapse in revenues was even sharper. Professor Chandrasekhar said that the government's stimulus packages will not be effective in reviving the economy. Now, we know that despite the number of uh, stimulus packages, etc., announced by the government, I mean, you know, estimates vary, but what we're talking about anywhere between 1% and 2% of GDP, which is the actual spending as part of the stimulus. If you look at the spending element, the degree to which the government engaged in a sort of counter-cyclical spending was extremely low, maximum maybe 2% of GDP. So, so obviously, you know, this is this this then increases the post pro-cyclicality because output is down because of COVID, revenues are down, there's no stimulus, because there is no stimulus, this down remains down and maybe recession intensifies, therefore tax revenues fall even further, etc. It's only that whatever we've seen as a revival is only because of the fact that you moved from the intense lockdown of the first two and a, two, two and a half months to the relaxed, significantly relaxed environment. So you had to have some degree of a pickup. You know, what, what this shows is that it's not only that the GST regime has, has, has failed, but the GST regime, along with the neoliberalism of which it is a part, which leads to the fiscal deficit to GDP ratio, you know, constraint, you know, you want to you want to limit that. 
results in a situation where the procyclicality is even more intense. So combine GST with what is it's embedded in, which is a neoliberal fiscal framework, and you become a country which is extremely prone to be hit very adversely by any slowdown. And the COVID pandemic was not any normal slowdown. I asked him if the initial promise of bringing ease of doing business has worked out. Also, when GST was introduced, it was said that it will bring ease of doing business, transparency, it will lower down the prices. So could you also tell me how it has impacted the Indian economy in terms of pan-India operations, production of industries and retailers, SMEs and the exports in the country? Even those who supported the you know, still support maybe the GST regime, but recognize these empirical facts, okay? They're, I mean, you know, you know, people who were part of the finance commissions in the past and so on, they basically say, listen, the problem is not with GST. GST is good. The problem is with implementation. And the, the most astounding thing is that what was supposed to be the core of this regime, which was the GSTN, the GST network, which was this huge computerized network, which was supposed to, you know, make everything easy and transparent and so on, you know, and was supposed to have been set up by India's leading software firm, Infosys, you know, and GSTN network is still in a complete mess. Okay. And they're not, they're not even held responsible, you know, they've not been penalized. You know, even among those who are only looking at implementation as a problem, not the structural flaws of this regime, they don't see any structural flaws in this regime, but only an implementation problem. They find that, listen, the way it has been implemented has actually not been good for business. There is inadequate transparency. You've affected a whole set of people who have to file these returns, these so-called e-way bills, which you know, track the movement of commodities across state borders and so on are not being generated the way they should be generated. And when they are, they don't go to the states in time, etc., etc. So put all of this together. As I said, even those who don't see any structural problems with this would not say that it has improved the ease of doing business. In the case of middle, medium-sized businesses, it has made life you know, terrible for them in terms of the reporting requirements, etc. You know, their chartered accountancy costs have just gone up hugely. And in the case of the others also, that you don't have a fully functioning, you know, including the, including the state governments. You know, so a lot of state, state finance ministers are complaining. Listen, we can't even track what's happening because of the fact that the system is not yet fully in place. Maybe, maybe when, you know, at some point in the future, you know, God knows when that future is because we're already three years down the line, you know. Then things will settle down, and you know this dream of it being good for business might become true. But just now, there is no evidence that it improves the ease of doing business. So you already talked about the drawbacks of the tax regime. According to you, what are the challenges of the GST tax regime? This regime, if it has to function in a way in which it delivers revenues, which would be adequate to keep the, 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 the government spending, I mean, government central and state spending going um, on even keel, would have to pitch the tax rates, it appears to me. So you're going to have this, this problem of actually trying to make it work to generate the revenues which you should. At the moment, maybe you don't feel the pinch as much. So in essence, what I'm saying is that, that, uh, that you'll have to pitch in order to be able to get the revenues which makes this a viable system from a growth point of view. 
growth and welfare point of view, because governments also spend on welfare, that you'll have to pitch the rates at levels. But you know, if if my if my surmise is right, you'll have to pitch it at levels which are not going to be received with much uh, happiness by the population at large. First of all, you have to push up tax slabs and move more and more commodities into the higher slabs, which which can have you know consequences for the prices people pay, and therefore because you know now it's becoming more and more difficult to evade taxes. Okay. The second thing is, you know, if you actually look at what happened to the own tax revenues to state GDP of different states, okay, then if you look at the 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 situation earlier, one of course was that there was no relationship between you know, clear relationship between a state's per capita GSDP, gross domestic state domestic product, and it's 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 collection from its indirect taxes. Professor Chandrasekhar is referring to states' own tax revenue, which includes revenues earned via state tax, state excise duty, land revenue, stamps, and registration, among others. You know, if you look at the own tax revenues, which is both what is collected and the shares which they get out of the IGST, plus the revenues they get out of uh, taxing alcohol and uh, petrol, which you know are still outside. If you if you look at that, you know, in, under the earlier tax regime, there was a certain lack of you know clear correspondence. It doesn't didn't mean that the state was a you know a lower per capita income state in terms of GSDP. That it also got naturally got a lower you know, own tax revenue. They obviously used the flexibility they had with setting their own tax rates. You know, their sales tax etc. And of course, the flexibility they had in setting rates for things like, uh, you know, on, on things like alcohol and petrol and cigarettes and whatever it may be. They used that to actually get themselves revenues which did not directly correspond with the level of their per capita, relative level of their per capita income. Okay. Now, this, this is a good thing. Why is it a good thing? It basically means that you're not trapped. If you, it doesn't mean that if you have low per capita income, you'll get low own tax revenues. If you get low own tax revenues, you have low, lower state spending. If you have lower state spending, you, you remain low. Okay. However, if you look at the period after the coming of the GST, you see a far greater degree of correspondence between the level of the per capita income of a state and the own tax revenues it's collecting. Now, what does that mean? It means that inequality, interstate inequality will tend to perpetuate itself because a poorer state will get, will get lower revenues. In some sense, what you're saying is the states having ceded their right to devise their own tax regime, depending upon the structure of their economies and the flexibility they had, has resulted in a situation where a poorer state has lesser ability to try and pull itself up by its own bootstraps. It becomes completely dependent on what the center, through the GST council, etc., plus through the finance commission, would give the state. Okay. So therefore, you know, so it's not only that there is an overall problem about tax revenue generation. There's also a problem in terms, I think, that going for this few tax labs with a homogeneous rate across across uh, uh, states, independent of their per capita income, independent of the structure of their economies, and so on and so forth, there could be a tendency for interstate inequality to increase, which of course is not a good thing. This is not a good thing because, you know, you, you remain one country 
so long as you're able to actually tell parts of it that listen you're not you're not doing you know i am not i'm not yet convinced that this is here to stay that the problems the problems which are emerging are so numerous and so diverse that and and that the the decision of the center to basically tell the states that listen go fend for yourself you know is i think creating an environment in which um, i wouldn't be surprised if there is an increasing demand which come from the states uh, because particularly in the post covid era and so on the demands on state governments i mean you know, we don't even know what is going to be the burden placed on state governments for the immunization drive so i i think that as their responsibilities might even increase in a post covid environment and on the other hand their revenues might shrink and uh, therefore um i am as i said i'm not yet convinced that this is here to stay with a uniform tax rate bring about a seamless transfer of goods and services across the country enable us to check evasion and therefore enlarge the revenues as far as the center and the states are concerned this would also be equitable in as much as the consuming states would also be benefited as far as their economy is concerned many economists and analysts believe that this would also give a boost as far as the uh, uh, growth rates in the country are concerned please rate our podcast and leave a comment if you like it underreported and underrepresented stories can become mainstream only if it reaches more people So please support us by visiting our contributing page on our website sunoindia.in or follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram.